Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry, episode 165. As always, I'm joined by Dom. You ever have that moment where you question your whole life because of the amount of like immediate relief and happiness you feel when you take the first sip of beer in a day, and you're like, wow, am I an alcoholic? That just changed my world today. <laughs> You're talking to somebody who doesn't drink alcohol, never has, and never will. So I can't yeah. – if Jordan is here, I think he could relate to you on that. I'm pretty sure we have some people listening that could relate to you. But you're literally asked like the worst possible case scenario for you of a, of a good response. Happy N7 Day, by the way, the day we're recording this, November 7th. Shit I was out. hoping for the announcement of uh, the remasters. It didn't happen. My heart's broken once again. Um, Casey Hudson did mention on Twitter, he said that we're excited to see what we're – he didn't say we're excited. He basically said we're looking to see where we can take Mass Effect. Um, you know, obviously just a cheeky little nod to them still seeing a future in the franchise despite some of the recent struggles with not only Andromeda but Anthem, so that's good. But yeah, national, uh, not national, but happy N7 day to you, Dom. Good holiday. I think four days ago was the 10-year anniversary of Dragon Age, which is pretty cool too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully in the future we see the return of Bioware's prominence, but who knows. In terms of what we've been playing, uh, I was talking to you before the show. I didn't have a, uh, a ton of time to hop back into Outer Worlds, so I'm still uh, in space about to depart to my second location, which you'll talk a little bit about that when you get to your uh, section of what you've been playing. Outside of that, um, Call of Duty campaign. So the campaign has, I think, 14. It's either 12 or 14 missions total. I'm on mission 8. So, a little bit over halfway. Obviously, who knows, because some of those missions are longer than others, right? Um, really enjoying it still. Uh, I think Gary Witta, writer of Rogue One, put on Twitter that he feels that this game achieves the problem of, uh, or fixes the problem of Uncanny Valley to where the facial recognition and mocap is so good that it just leaps up over Uncanny Valley. I talked to you guys about it when I first started playing it, that it was... Some of the best CG I've seen in video games. Like, it looks like a movie. Um, still enjoying it. There have been some, quote-unquote, what I would assume people would consider controversial parts. To me, I didn't really feel that way. Uh, obviously, there's the mission where they basically say that Russia bombed these people that were trying to escape this war zone. And in real life, during that same uh, mission that it's based on, it was the United States that had bombed people accidentally. And people were in a hissy fit about that. And I talked about how, you know, people are talking about how it's, you know, pro-USA propaganda. And to me, even though it's based on real-world events, I never go into a Call of Duty game for a history lesson, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know I'm getting some escapist, Americanized fantasy in, in terms of a military story. So that never really bothers me. Um, so that's just my attitude on that. I just It doesn't really do much for me either way. I don't get super upset by it. Because I, I just don't treat it as real, you know? I don't know. It's, it's weird. Um, yeah, there, there's something to be said about it maybe as, as far as – like you and I, we know what it is going in. Um, but maybe that shapes, you know, the stereotypes and minds of younger kids playing the game even though it's a rated M game. So that shouldn't be an issue. But, of course, you know, there's kids playing it and I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but then there's a whole discussion of like – if we replace the United States with Russia, it's not necessarily like Russia's Sweden or something. It's not a country not known for acts of terrorism or violence. Then there's that whole question. and Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a back and forth thing. But anyways, enjoying my time with that. Uh, what else? Man, can you imagine? I'm going to stick with this for a minute because I'm excited. <laughs> can you imagine if like it was – this doesn't exist in this world, but like it, it was flipped, right? And for some reason – one of the biggest video game franchises ever was made in Russia, right? Actually, bad example, not Russia. Say uh, Pakistan or Saudi Arabia, right? Say that, that Call of Duty was made from a Saudi Arabian developer. I know, I know it sounds, that sounds nuts. And then you know everything was flipped, where the Americans are the bad guys in this game. Man, like, can you imagine the Twitter tirade from our commander-in-chief about that game? Oh, God, yeah. And honestly, that game probably wouldn't sell well. And like well, that's right. the harsh reality of it is like yeah. that scenario doesn't exist. Of course, the market would right. speak for itself and be like, "I don't want to play like a anti-American game." It's just the way right. it is, you know. Yeah. Um, sadly, for 
you know the world's economy of of trying out that kind of stuff um because there is some valid there is a way you can make <laughs> an anti-us military game based in fact you know what i mean <laughs> like there it, it oh, you yeah. wouldn't have to veer too far into propaganda for to make it a reality um but I don't know if a large enough audience would be wanting to try. For me personally, if it was high quality in terms of game development, I'd be interested in it because it's a different oh, perspective, yeah. right? So, dude, I'm sure yeah. that you could tell so many stories that puts, you know, war stories that would put the U.S. in a in a very bad light. I mean, I don't even know. You just it would be easy. It would be easy to find different perspectives on a lot of that, right? Yeah. Now, whether it'd be commercially viable or successful, that's a completely right. other conversation. Yeah. Um, as long as we don't piss off China, God forbid. Been playing some more multiplayer in it. Uh, people have been complaining about the 725 shotgun. It's like the most powerful gun right now in multiplayer. I tried it out a bit. It's pretty fun. I haven't had too much of an issue of feeling like every game I run into where it's a small to medium map where I'm just getting devastated by it. Uh, people have also been complaining about campers and claymores. That, I don't think, is... Like... It's not specific to any Call of Duty game or even many shooters. I just think it's when you put those type of opportunities in games, newer players or certain types of players are just going to do that. You know what I mean? So when people start complaining about that stuff, like, I get it. It is frustrating. But I've been playing Call of Duty. You too, Dom. I've been playing Call of Duty since at least 2005. So we know it's like, it sucks. You just got to deal with it and learn how to get past those kind of things, you know? So. There's something there too where – um. Back in Call of Duty 4, right, um, you know, a lot of the maps you could abuse that, right, where there's only one entrance into a room that has a good window to view out a map, and so it's easy to just claim more of that room and then just camp out, right? Yeah. But I noticed, um, man, what was the last Call of Duty game I even played? World War II? Or a little bit of Black Ops 3. Black Ops 3 especially. I only played a couple rounds, but first thing I noticed was in those multiplayer maps, like, it's hard to camp because, like, there's not really any one sp- – there, there's nowhere that's safe, right? There's better spots than others, but, like, they, the maps are clearly designed to keep you moving. Um, well, and there's also – there's a tough. verticality to them, too, because you have, like, jetpacks yep. and stuff in those games. Oh, yeah. And with Modern Warfare, it's a return to, quote-unquote, boots on the ground where it is more basic. And the claymores and the camping is something you have to deal with because of the map design in regards to that game style. So it's just something you have yeah. to deal with. I'm not really bothered by it. Um I think that's pretty much it for everything I've played. In terms of other mediums, I don't think there's anything really worth mentioning uh, that I, like, watched. So what about you, Outer Worlds? Only thing on your plate this week? Yeah, a ton of Outer Worlds. I think I'm, like, around approaching the 15-hour mark. And I know that we've talked a bunch, and it's been said a lot, that, like, this game is smaller in scope compared to a new Vegas. But... I don't really know that that's true because um, I've played a shit ton and there's still a lot to do. I've only been I've been pretty thorough with the side quests, you know, the ones I find at least. I've been clearing them all out before I move on to each new planet as much as I can. Um, there's, I mean, it's, there's a lot. Like it's individual worlds. It's not one giant world uh, like a Fallout game, but the worlds are big and there's they're very different, which I think is cool um, from each other. Um, yeah, I think this this game is bigger than than I anticipated even uh, thus far. So I I figured. Well, like, the first world isn't very spend... big. Like with Edgewater, I don't think yeah. I, would, I wouldn't consider that area big. Obviously, I haven't been to the second area. You've already been to like the third area. You said so. Yeah, it's big. I mean, okay, so the first one, yeah, it's big and or it's smaller in size and in density too. Um, but the next couple planets, uh, some of them are about the same size you know area wise but they're all there's a lot of people there's a lot of quests to do there's a lot going on um there's a uh, one thing they brought back from new vegas is like there's different factions and especially in this world they created it makes a lot of sense where you know there's the there's a the couple corporations that have their own thing going on and then there's different factions that have branched off from that uh, of all sorts of different types like any kind of ideology you can think of there's probably a faction out there in this game that practices it um, and, and so on, which is – I kind of forgot about that from New Vegas. That was one of the cooler things that game did, and this – and Outer Worlds continues that as well, which is cool. So, um, But, yeah, I'm still, I'm still loving every minute of it. I, I keep on, like, 
every time I level up, I'm just excited because that means I get to go and just dump specific skill points into very specific skill, you know, trees and everything. Especially once you get a skill up to 50 and you get to start picking the individual parts of that skill you want to level up. It gets even cooler. Yeah. Because um, then not only did I decide early on, for example, that I want to be a character with a lot of charisma, can talk through a lot of situations. So at first, you can only level up a combination of persuasion, lying, and intimidation. But then once you hit 50, you can pick just individual ones of those three to level up. So I'm doing mostly persuasion um, and lying. The lies are actually a lot of fun in this game uh, to see play out with some of the people. But yeah, so that's that's something like, I'm, I don't know, it's really satisfying. It's something I missed um, from Fallout 4 and Fallout 76. Um, and even Fallout 3 didn't have as much of it as New Vegas did. But yeah, I'm glad that Outer Worlds exists because, it's, it's, man, it's good. It's just real good. Well, later on, we're going to talk about Outer Worlds because Take-Two had their investor meeting this week. Um, and the other thing or two to say about it, so we'll get to that later. Is there anything else you wanted to mention Ooh. before we hop into the news? Yeah, so one thing, because I'm playing on Xbox because Game Pass is awesome. So, it, you know, <laughs> like day and date, Outer Worlds on Game like that's that's superb but uh i wanted to bring that up because typically games i play on ps4 at least part part of my time on it is spent via remote play on vita depending on how the controls work for that game um and so of course like auto worlds is on xbox but can't obviously can't play remote play on vita but it clicked in my head you can and i forgot this existed um you can stream your Xbox One to a PC. So in yeah. my case, I got that all hooked up. So I'm playing Outer Worlds on my Xbox through my laptop up in my bedroom, even though my Xbox is all the way in the basement. And that's opened up a lot of more, you know, a lot more gameplay time than I would have otherwise. So I forgot about that. So um, kudos to Microsoft and Xbox for that feature. Cause it, and it works really well. It it's, works really, really well. And when xCloud becomes a thing and is actually out in market, you'll be able to uh, remote play essentially on your phone or tablet exactly. or whatever too. To so. a f- instead of just PCs, but yeah, to a phone, which a lot of people apparently are already doing as part of that beta, which I signed up for, but I've not been invited yet. I'm bummed out. So We got into the Stadia one. Now, it was tough because I signed up for it yeah. too, but it's like it's hard to get into them. It's more it's a luck thing, right? That everyone puts their, their ticket in the basket and then whoever gets mm-hmm. pulled is pulled. Um, yeah, I, I assume it's based upon there's like segmentations they do also, right? They they want so many people from different regions, yep, and different you know whatever whatever other variables they assign to people like just to get the most out of their test. But yeah, that's a good thing about living in New Mexico is obviously it's not as densely populated as other states. So often if you sign up for a lot of tech based beta stuff, you usually make it in because it's just the volume of people who are interested mm-hmm. in it. You know what I mean? They um, they want that data point. You're a valuable exactly. Tester. Yeah, whereas you live in Michigan, where there are some locations where there is heavy density in terms of people, uh, at least more so than New Mexico. Um, so who knows? You might be unlucky and miss out. I mean, I still might be unlucky and miss out. You never know. Um, anything else, Dom? Any movies or anything you want to mention? Probably, but not that I can think of. Okay. Uh, let's hop into the news. So first bit of quickie news here. There have been rumors swirling. That Playtonic Games, uh, which are the developers of the two ukulele games, that being Ukulele and Ukulele and the Impossible Lair, which I had played this year and really enjoyed, despite the last <laughs> mission being excruciatingly hard, uh, that they're said to be acquired by Microsoft, and that this announcement will take place at XO19, which takes place November 14th. If you remember, XO18 returned in 2018, and Xbox announced a slew of acquisitions, including Obsidian. Uh, which obviously released recently, The Outer Worlds, which we talked about. Um, with these rumors, here's the thing. There's t- It's a two-part thing. So one, people, uh, there's a lot of rumors going around that they're going to be acquired by Microsoft. Okay, that's one segment. Set that aside. There's another rumor that they're not only being acquired by Microsoft, but they're going to be working on Banjo-Kazooie of some sort because there were some rumblings from Platonic saying they'll finally be able to work on the game they wanted to initially make when they founded the company, right? Plus some other things in there. 
So people assumed, oh, they're going to be not only because this was coupled with them being acquired, they're being acquired by Microsoft. And since Rare is working on Sea of Thieves and other stuff, they want Platonic, who's built of a lot of former Rare people, to work on Banjo-Kazooie, right? Because they've done such a good job with ukulele. Now, Platonic has recently come out and said, we're not working on Banjo-Kazooie, zip, zilch, period. We're not doing that. Now, people led that to go back to the rumors and be like, oh, they're not working on Banjo-Kazooie, therefore they're not getting acquired. Not understanding that they're kind of two separate things. One doesn't exactly mean the other, right? Uh, and the weirdest thing is that you know how Rare, as a developer, Dom is known as like Rare Limited, right? Rare LTD. Oh, I don't know if yeah. you've ever seen their thing. Mm-hmm. There was a trademark filing uh, for Platonic for Platonic Limited, which mm-hmm. is weird if you take into account the acquisition because they, if Microsoft acquired them and they want them to feel to the audience as if they are like Rare, you would want a similar namesake, right? So it's just a weird little timing thing there. It could not really mean anything or it could mean everything. Uh, yeah, I just think it's interesting. Once again, Platonic, not a huge developer, one of those middle-range developers that if they could release games like Ukulele and Impossible Air every couple of years, that helps bolster Xbox Game Pass, which we talked about, right? The big thing for them is they want to be able to have games come out at good incremental periods to sustain the service, right? That's why they're not only acquiring some big boys or creating like the initiative, they're getting these smaller studios that can pump out smaller piecemeal games that take less development time to put out into market, right? So I know this probably doesn't do anything for you because you have no experience with Platonic. Um, but don't you think it makes sense for them if they see the studio working on a game very similar to a license they already own, don't you think it'd be a great pull for them? Maybe not necessarily for them to come in and make Banjo-Kazooie, but they know their audience of Xbox gamers want games like that. And to have somebody with that type of experience with two games already underneath their belt, right? Isn't that a smart move if they end up acquiring them? Yeah, I mean, at the rate that, you know, Microsoft is grabbing studios also. So I could see it. And yeah, that feels like the type of studio like that would fit well in their portfolio overall, right? Like you're saying. Yeah, and the thing to point out too is in past years, they haven't invited press to XO19. They have asked press to be there this year, which doesn't necessarily oh. mean something huge will happen. But if they invited press, that means that there will be some announcement of consequence there that they want to get into the news headlines, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah. don't expect like the reveal of Project Scarlet's real name or anything like that. That will happen next year. But an acquisition of Platonic or maybe another developer. People have talked about um, the names escaping me. Help me out, Dom. The developers of the Hitman games. IO. IO Interactive. Yeah. So who knows? We'll see what happens. Uh, before we hop into the big two news stories for the week, some more Xbox news, Dom. You know the initiative, right? The quadruple-A studio that Microsoft's putting together. Yeah. Yep. Um, we've heard in the past of them hiring really talented people from the likes of Naughty Dog, Bethesda. Um, I can't remember. They, they've... Acquired a lot of good talent from places. Uh, Santa, Sony Santa Monica, I think, too. Santa Monica. Kind of walked across the street because the initiative is located in Santa Monica. Um, we have a new round of hires that I wanted to mention because it just shows they're bringing in some more awesome talent, and it's great for a studio like that to build up. Because at this point, we don't even know if it's a one-team studio or not, right? Uh, we don't know if it's going to be a multiple-team studio where they have kind of games working back-to-back or if it's a single uh, game studio where they're focused on one big project none of that's really been made public because they're still in the process of hiring so who knows these new hires dom i'm gonna read them for you okay bioware lead animator ryan duffin has joined so uh you know despite what you think about about anthem obviously the story wasn't great uh but if you look at the flying animation or any of the suit stuff in that game it's really well done it's high quality so um you know, the lead animator coming over from that project at Bioware, I think is a, is a good get. Um, obviously that game is the closest we're probably going to get to an Iron Man game for a while in terms of the animation of the suit. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, someone else from Naughty Dog has leapt on over to the initiative 
and that's one of their artists. His name is Ryan Trowbridge. Uh, he was one of the he wasn't the lead artist, but he was um, credited as being one of the main artists for Uncharted Four. Um, obviously, a very beautiful game with a really solid art style there. All of those games in that franchise have that. Uh, a, the Doom Environment artist Justin Waters. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast uh, weekly or even monthly, you'd know how much Dom and I love Doom, uh, the 2016 reboot. Can't wait for Doom Eternal. So, And those environments are incredible as well. And lastly, this is the one I want to include everybody because I don't, you know, all of those jobs are important. I don't want to single out one person specifically. But I think this is the most important in terms of what we could possibly expect from gameplay um, for the initiative, Dom. And that's that they hired the senior game designer for Apex Legends from Respawn, who's also one of the lead game designers for both Titanfall 1 and 2. His name is Sean Slayback. That, to me, means there's a possibility that this game, to some extent, will feature first-person shooting gameplay. Um, obviously, because if he was... And they brought him in, in the same position as a senior game designer. Um Obviously, there's much more to Apex Legends and Titanfall than just the shooting, right? If he helped lead game design, those games have really good traversal mechanics. Um, and the layout of the maps is also really good. So in terms of environment structure and uh, level design, he could really help with that too. But yeah, I just wanted to mention those because as the years go on, when we eventually see what the initiative is working on, it's cool to see the breadcrumb trail of the talent they're bringing on. Um, and I think with anybody, they work on something great and it's a new challenge, right? To go to this new studio and try something else. Question for you. This is obviously you're pulling this rabbit out of a hat, Dom, but if you had to, if you're, I don't want to see your life is online. That's a little bit too hyperbolic and crazy, but if you had to pick a genre as specific or as general as you want, what would be your bet? If I gave you a million bucks, you had to put it on something what would the initiative's first game be, given the rest of Xbox's catalog, right? So we have the big sci-fi space shooter in Halo. We have the really gritty, cover-based, third-person shooter in a post-apocalypse-y kind of world in Gears. What do you think, if you if you were to place a bet, what do you think that their kind of genre or theme would be for their big game? What do you think is missing from Xbox's portfolio in terms of a big you know, quadruple-A property? What would a fit? single A open world action RPG, right? Um, I'm single player. That. Yeah, absolutely. You said single A. Single player. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what you, I was like, yeah. you want them to strip down to a single A studio? Got it. <laughs> no. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, an open no, think, world action um, adventure. Yeah. Is that what you said uh, somewhere. I'm of two two. I have, I have two answers. I mean. You're the, I'm thinking, and this is this is a boring and obvious answer, right? But like, their answer to Horizon Zero Dawn, you know, Days Gone, um, whatever, or their answer to uh, Uncharted, Last of Us, God of War. So somewhere, definitely single player. Whether or not they lean more towards the um, uh, focused linear narrative side of that, with you know, akin to Naughty Dog's games or more towards the open world RPG side of that. Um, to me, that's kind of what's missing. The, like Those are the two th- big glaring holes, and that's what Sony's had a shit ton of success with lately. Um, and this is, I mean, based on the talent that they're bringing in, I mean, this is like a studio, right? Like, this is like the team developing yeah. in front of us. So I think, like, this team should have, you know, the talent and the, the budget and the scope and everything they, they'll need to make something on the caliber of, of those games. But that's, that's to me what I see like their portfolio kind of needing. Um, I agree compete, with you, you know, on that same thing in the same level. Yeah, for sure. It's funny you mentioned Horizon zero Dawn because I think my strongest bet would be that I would put most of my money on it, having a lead female protagonist. Now hmm. that Good was call. stronger before Kate became the face of gears. Because before she became the face of Gears, I was like, they definitely need a female because we have Master Chief and we have uh, Marcus and then obviously his son. Uh, but now Kate's kind of transitioned into the face of Gears, right? I mean, I would say currently she is the face of Gears of War. Would you be? Would you agree with me on that? <sighs> Moving forward. Yeah. 
Yeah, but sorry, I sound like a kid, but like, yes, it, that's what they obviously that's what they're trying to transition to, but I still don't think they're fully transitioned into that because you still, I don't want to spoil Gears Five. I kind of just did, but um, Marcus Phoenix is still all over the damn place too. But you're right, like they're like eighty percent. I, I, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say you're right. Like she is now the face. I mean, he's uh, he's still know, in the game, Gears. but he's not. He's not leading the marketing. Like Kate was leading all of the marketing. Right. She was yeah. all in the commercials. You're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, I I agree though. I'm gonna get into it. it. Took me a second to get there, but you're right. <laughs> so with her, with happening with her, I'm less confident in it. Um, but who knows what the future holds? Obviously. And the other thing, even though I mentioned how Sean Slayback, you know, was the lead game designer for Apex Legends, and obviously it has incredible first person shooting. They already had their two other biggest franchises are super focused on shooting, right? I think that this game will probably have shooting in it, but it'll be more akin to like Uncharted where the main point of the game isn't the shooting mechanics. You know what I mean? Um, but unlike Uncharted, it'll have good shooting mechanics. Shots fired. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it'll be, Shot, it'll be more action-adventure focused as opposed to shooting focused, but I do think it'll make sure to have good shooting mechanics, right? Um yeah, I'm, I'm very interested. Open world, looking at their portfolio, they now have Obsidian, who will probably see the Outer Worlds too. But that's obviously an open world. It's not really open world, but you'd assume maybe the budget for the next one might turn it into an open world. But that's like a hardcore Western RPG. Whereas, like you said, they need that action-adventure, maybe third-person, God yeah. of War, uncharted something like that. Um, and one thing I do think this game will have is budget. Like they're exactly. pitching the studio as like a studio. So we'll see what happens there. Excited about those new hires. Like you said, they're building a, a great roster of talent. Next up. The, the, the cool thing to think about is like, as we're speculating, that's pro- like at this point, that's gotta be what's going on over there. Right. Is, you know, a bunch of different projects are being in the developed in the very earliest of stages, you know, by different groups there. And they're all kind of being pitched and it's like, those early stages are like, all right, well, what are we going to go in, go in on and what project out of, you know, out of all these is going to make move forward, um, especially as the team gets together and stuff. So like, it's exciting to think about like, yeah, all those smart ass, talented dudes, creative people um, are actually like going through the process of, of creating all that right now in those early stages. Like obviously like it's exciting to like when the games are closer to release and like, that's when we want to play them and stuff. But I'm getting a little excited thinking about like, oh, like that's what they're doing right now is they're just pitching crazy cool ideas and seeing exactly, what, yeah. what makes the most sense. But yeah. And I, I honestly think that by this time next year, they'll certainly know what they're going to make. Um, yeah. Because if you just look at the timing, they're going to want to get it out. Not at the beginning of obviously next gen, but in the first couple of years, probably by year three. So we're looking right. at uh, 2021, like 2022, 2023, something like that. Um, I'm, I'm excited because it is a studio that we know they, they're going to have all this talent, but we don't know what they're doing. And like you said, they don't really know either. They're trying to figure it out. So, um, and they have so many people that like know what they're doing. So once yeah, they, exactly. I think the hardest part for them is going to figure out, like we talked about theme and setting, right? Because they have so many people that have so much experience. That I think once they have that, they can hit the ground running with gameplay mechanics and level design and all that stuff. They just need to wor- know the world they're playing in, um, which isn't an easy thing to do. It's not like you just scribble down some ideas and then figure it out. Um, but once they nail what they want to do, I can't wait to see what, what happens there. Next up, Take-Two had their investor meeting. Um, and this is where earlier I mentioned we're going to be talking about the Outer Worlds. And if you're wondering, Chair, the Outer Worlds is owned by Microsoft. What does that have to do with Take-Two? Well, if you don't remember, Outer Worlds was published uh, by Private Division. And if you're running Private Division, they're not named Take-Two. What's well, They're technically their subsidiary indie publisher for Take-Two. It's kind of like um, EA Originals, right? So they publish smaller games and help these indie studios get on their feet and bring these games to the open market. And Private Division did that with Outer Worlds. Obviously, moving forward, Outer Worlds 2 will be published by Microsoft, maybe in partnership with Private Division. You never know. But at least Microsoft will have more of a stake in the game for that game since they now own Obsidian. Well, it turns out that uh, according to Take-Two, the Outer Worlds is exceeding expectations when it comes to commercial success and reaffirmed that it'll make its way to Switch in 2020. They even went as far as to say it'll re- it'll 
release in fiscal year 2020, which means that it'll come out before March 31st because that's Take-Two's end of their fiscal year. So if you're waiting to play this game on Switch, like Dom possibly was, he was debating about it, uh, you'll get it before March 31st. Good luck playing it amongst all those other games that are coming out early in the year. Uh, good luck with that, uh, <laughs> with the, the tons of releases that are trying to hit before next gen. How do you feel about that, Dom? Are you surprised that it's succeeding uh, commercial? If it's succeeding commercially, because once the reviews came out, we weren't necessarily surprised. We were kind of kind of relaxed, right? That it hit our expectations of, oh, it's a good game. Thank you. Did you expect it to sell as well as it did? Kinda, yeah. Because I feel like there is a decent amount of hype around this game, and what we know. If this was a year ago, it might be I would have been more hesitant. But what we know about games that come to Game Pass is they also sell well outside of Game Pass. Yeah. Apparently, at you know at, at least somewhat as a result of being on Game Pass, which doesn't I mean like surface level doesn't seem to make much sense because it's like well you just get it cheaper through Game Pass and whatever. But that's I mean that's what's going on. So it, to me, it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense and it, it even makes you wonder like. How much is uh, this game, and it's a bit of a unique case, coming to Game Pass at, at launch, how much does that actually help it sell copies on PS4? Because it being successful and being on Game Pass is getting that hype going and getting people talking about yeah. it. So then the folks who don't have Xbox, well, they're, they're buying the regular copy on PS4 or PC, right? Well, I guess PC now actually you have Game Pass as well. That's another aspect of this. But yeah, I, it's cool. It's good to see that it's selling so well, but... I, I was confident enough in it leading up, I think. Well, so. The funniest thing is I think one of the biggest wins for Obsidian is Fallout 76 being what it was. That too, yeah. Because it it left that fan base so thirsty for an actual Fallout experience since Fallout 4. And you could even say since Fallout New Vegas because obviously there was an argument that Fallout 4 was essentially more of the same, right, for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just it's a fan base that has been thirsty for that type of experience and Bethesda because of their development cycle goes so long between games and obviously Fallout 76 wasn't a main Bethesda Game Studios release but even then it didn't hit what people wanted it to from a Fallout experience so when they saw The Outer Worlds like you said there was a bunch of hype and then when the re- the reviews come out and it's like meeting or exceeding expectations depending on who you are they're like hell yeah and they feel confident in their purchase right and they go out and that's the thing with Game Pass and Obsidian. You said, obviously, this game isn't super small, but it isn't vast and wide open to the point that they can make this type of game in two years. They can hit, they have their own niche market now of we're the Bethesda game that releases between the Bethesda games, right? And I think that is a solid place to be in, in, in many ways of being that. Yeah. Because there's like five to seven years between big Bethesda games, you know? So. And kind of a bit of a tangent, but as I've been playing through it, um, I also had the thought of, obviously the, a lot of the mechanics and stuff, you know, they brought over from New Vegas, which Obsidian, um, you know, at least was half, you know, uh, responsible for creating, right? Um, but what I find funny is, like, they brought along the same the same fallout like charisma and like stupid comedy and yeah the way the writing you know, the characters talk and stuff yeah right the writing a lot of which existed before fallout new vegas right um but then i guess like we're also talking about these are the same creators of the original fallout too so i guess it all comes back to them at the end of the day but all full it circle. just felt like um yeah full circle but like they're is is very much um, as many memes and jokes there are about it. This feel it feels very much like, like a kind of a fuck you. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I usually I'm not one to like you know dive into like the the narratives that the internet creates around this kind of stuff, right? But seeing like even something um, that you know started in like Fallout Three, you know before that even and see them take like that kind of humor and comedy into this game that's no longer a fallout game but it that it it basically is right just not canon or whatever but i don't know it's just interesting that obviously the yeah, other cap- capitalizing too on the state of 76 and uh 
what's going on there. But it's also know, a cool. huge free Congrats win for it. Microsoft because like Fuck, yeah. Obsidian brokered this deal with Private Division long before Microsoft is in the picture. Microsoft acquires them. They're like, okay, you're releasing this game. They got to look at it. It's like, oh, this game looks great. Obviously, they know Obsidian's track record. And then the game releases, and they're just like, oh, all we have to do is put the marketing behind it? Oh, it's reviewing it? Hell yeah. I've seen so many commercials for this game, too. Like, Microsoft definitely put some money behind the marketing for this game, uh, despite it not being published by them. But obviously, they know that Obsidian is now a developer tied to Microsoft. So who care? No one cares who published it, right? They're like, oh, Microsoft has this this game uh, that they published on PlayStation Four as well, and it's a great open. Uh, keep wanting to say open world RPG, open area RPG, I guess. Um, but yeah, good for them. The other note they here is Red Dead Redemption Two has sold in twenty six point five million units total, and Borderlands Three has sold in seven million units. So both good numbers for them. Man. Uh, and you got to think that that 26 million number doesn't include, you know, the recent PC launch, right? So it's going to sell a oh, yeah. on PC. Uh, despite it being broken and a, a mess. Um, yeah, well, it'll fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, this news came out of nowhere. Uh, PlayStation appoints new positions. So this morning we woke up to the news of two people moving positions. One, a huge promotion. The other one, I would say it's a demotion, but I don't think it's like overtly negative. But literally, from the position they were to the position they are now, it is it isn't really a lateral move, <laughs> and it's not a it's not a promotion. So it's like, well, it's a, a demotion. Um, so PlayStation is named former Guerrilla Games head Herman Holst as the head of PlayStation Worldwide Studios. Um, this is a bit of my conjecture here. Uh, that there seems to no longer be a president and a chairman, but rather both roles were consolidated into Holt's new title. If you remember, Sean Layden, uh, formerly of PlayStation, was the uh, chairman of Sony Worldwide Studios, and Shuhei Yoshida was the president. And we'll get to what Shuhei Yoshida is doing now uh, a little bit later, but initial thoughts on this. Um, Herman Holst obviously did a great job with Gorilla when releasing Horizon Zero Dawn. Despite uh, all of the Killzone games being launch games, they always were very good graphical showpieces. He's the guy who's been in the industry a long time. I don't want to take away from the fact that I, I think he earned this. And I think you, you had mentioned, uh, I don't know if you said it was a good move or it's some good news, right, Dom? I, I wouldn't say it's good news. And I wouldn't say it's bad news. I would say it's interesting. We talked about, I think Herman Holst has a lot of experience, obviously, with game development. And I think him having that level of relatability with the studios he's going to be working with, all 14 of them, I think is going to be invaluable, right? The fact that he could talk to him on a level of, I get where you're coming from. The truth of the matter is, though, he doesn't really, I don't know how it's going to fit from the business perspective. I don't know how it's going to fit between his relationship with what's been reported as a pretty interesting character to work with as a boss in Jim Ryan and I don't know if his and this is me just speculating but him being from the world of developers I see him as more of a lenient leader than a uh, like a hard ass it's the easiest way to put it like, I think he is more than willing to give developers the benefit of the doubt and letting them have as much time as they want to to develop games and yada 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 not saying it's a bad thing obviously we're super against crunch and we don't want people breaking their backs putting these games out uh to get them out you know three months earlier my issue with that is i don't know how that's gonna you know work with jim ryan (laughs) once again i my whole thing is i don't know how how it's gonna work between him and jim ryan and i don't know how he's gonna be in terms of the business side of things but i do think it's great for the communication aspect of him in the 14 studios. I think he'll nail that. What about you? Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. Like, I like the idea uh, of, like, an Iwata type, right, where someone who came from the development side and not from yeah. a, a more business side. Um, so, yeah, he's going to have uh, always this, the developers in the studio's, you know, interest uh, probably at a forefront more so than if someone came in who was, like, a, you know, a marketing director or some other person who was never really a developer. Um, and you might question their passion about the 
the games themselves and so on, right? Um, not that those people aren't also valuable uh, because this is a business and you need all sorts of different types of minds, right? But um, yeah, yeah, I thought it was cool that they're literally promoting someone again, and it's a big promotion. Like that's a lot of uh, new responsibility. Um, but I mean, it's a job, and I think it's good that his voice will now be. I'm, again, still speculating, of course, which <laughs> yeah. I don't really like to do, especially on things like this. When, especially the way Sony announces things and the, their their labels and titles are so abstract, and it's kind of, always ends up kind of feeling like I don't really know quite what that means. We think these worlds are consolidated, probably, well, but who the hell knows? Yada yada. Um, but I think it's, it'll be good to have his voice. Um, and then, like you mentioned, where Jim Ryan, we've, from what we've heard from him, feels like the opposite of having you know necessarily the developers uh best interest in mind necessarily and more focused on the businesses overall best interest again still important um but sometimes from his perspective a little tone deaf but um i think it'll be good that herman like the name by the way um he'll be that voice to kind of counteract uh you know what some viewpoints that Jim Ryan or, or other board members or whatever might have. So I think it's good to bring that voice to the table. Kind of like we say with, with Phil Spencer, right? Where he's going to bring, um, you know, more of a gamer's voice into the Microsoft boardroom um, with all the promotions he's got stuff into. Right. So that was my perspective. That's my hope and speculation, right? Um, how it actually plays who the hell really knows. So. Yeah. The only difference there being that Phil Spencer has been appointed to the Microsoft Board of Directors, whereas Herman Holst, they, Jim Ryan is yeah, clearly his superior. Yeah. Like it's it's a I get what you're saying. It's a, it's a bit different, but my my one worry is with Jim Ryan. Like I think Herman Holst will always have the best interests of the developers and the fans in, in mind. Right. My worry is, will he be lenient to a fault in Jim Ryan's eyes? How will that work out? The weird thing here, too, is all of this got a huge blog post by Sony themselves announcing all of this stuff. And Sean Layden, still, we got a tweet <laughs> about it. You know, we might never yeah, know what happened with weird. Sean Layden in that. And yeah. th the thing to point out here, too, is uh, – so I'm going to get through the Shuhei Yoshida stuff here real quickly. Uh, along with the promotion for uh, Herman Holst, Shuhei Yoshida, who is formerly the president of Worldwide Studios, will now be the head of an initiative to work with indie developers. Um, they clearly said in the blog post that he's no longer has the, the position of president. He's moving uh, onwards to something else. Um, and that's why the consolidation thing was was thought about because uh, Sean Layden was the, was the chairman. He left. Shuhei Yoshida was the president. They moved him, and they appointed someone as the head. So it's assumed that those positions are just, you know, they didn't say they were filling them. So they just disappeared. Um, with, and we talked about, obviously, they've been restructuring uh, their entire business um, this is good. They're working with indie developers again. Shuhei is somebody who loves to work with indies, and he's very talented, and he has a lot of experience in this field. Obviously, they're doing this because PS5 is coming around. In order to bolster your library of games early on in the generation, you need to have a strong stable of indie developers. And um, my one, I don't want to say worry, the interesting thing is that they're appointing Shuhei to this like a year before the next-gen console is going to launch, as opposed to where we recently talked about how Xbox had been working with ID at Xbox with developers and paid them over a billion dollars or whatever. Um, so they, they have those ongoing relationships, right? And it's not to say that Shuhei won't get them done. He's awesome, and everyone loves Shu. And it's just... It, if you were going to do this, I would have loved to give Shu a little bit more of a runway, right? Um, I still think he'll get things done and it'll be fine. I just think that they put him in a weird position, right? I feel bad for Shuhei because it's like I wish he had more of a, of a lead into next gen being able to work directly with these indie developers. But that's just my opinion on it. What about you? What do you think about the move for Shu? Yeah, it, it kind of gets the, the feeling of, a like you said, obviously not a promotion. Um, doesn't seem like just purely <laughs> lateral either. Yeah. I mean, you assume that yeah, dude probably didn't take a pay cut or, or anything crazy like that. But he certainly didn't. Um, I mean, it's just it feels more like a passion thing. That this is the job he wanted. I, I get the feeling, um, and he wanted to kind of spearhead and make sure that there was some, uh, you know, there was some legitimacy and, and around this this initiative. Uh, 
to have better relationships with the indie devs and, and so on. So I, you on paper, it's all really good. Um, but obviously, like you said, like there's just it's easy to see the motivation, like especially as you're rolling on a new console to get a library built up as quick as possible. So like the more indies you can get, um, the better there. And then, you know, as we we saw the same th- kind of thing on PS4, and then apparently as time went on, you know, <laughs> they forgot about uh, it. Yeah. Sony kind of said, "Well, we don't really care about indie devs that much." I mean, yeah, you put your games on our stuff, but like, we're not going to bend over for you, right? Um, we don't need you as much anymore um, since we have the install base now and so on, right? So that's that's the concern, I guess, um, that you know, as PS5 goes along, they do the same thing, which might make business sense, I suppose. But obviously, you like to see. Um, a helping hand provided to indie devs to get more. I mean, that's how we get a lot of cool-ass games that um, we might not have known about otherwise, is like bigger studios and publishers or whatever helping out indie games, you know, get them in front of people. Um, but yeah, this again, like on paper, it's good. There's some officialness to the initiative, right? Uh, like you talked about with, with Xbox when they did ID at Xbox, just having like that program, having a name, and like there's some, you know, substantial, you know, meat around not just pr speak um we hope uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I and cool. like i said i think shuhei will do a great job i just wish they gave him some more runway um a little tight there to the launch and i think he'll make it work but just looking out for you shu just looking out for you uh lastly so in an interview that also came out today uh with gameindustry.biz uh there was an interview with jim ryan uh which i wrote down as the often perplexing ceo of playstation very odd guy he has a foot and mouth syndrome sometimes says some things that just leave you scratching your head a little bit uh he made a point to say that their focus is on globalization at this point and he reveled in the fact that holst is european and he said that uh the new position should be a point of pride for uh europeans in general for the region uh which is an odd thing like yeah it's great that he's european i just don't know why that matters in terms of him being (laughs) head of uh worldwide studios right yeah and kind of it kind of offers legitimacy to the the reports we hear that like there's power struggles between like you know PlayStation Europe and PlayStation USA, right? Like, why would he? Well, that's what I was gonna ask. Is like, weird. yeah, does this lead credence to the apparent U.S. European region power struggle that was reported yeah. between Jim Ryan and Sean Layden? And Bruh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing is like with Sean Layden leaving, and I, once again, I don't want to take any way for any anything away from Herman Holst because I do think he earned this promotion, right? He earned it. The issue I have is like, well, did Jim Ryan specifically choose him over maybe some other candidates internally at Sony that were maybe from other regions because he is European, right? So it was you have three people that all get tens on their interview, but since he's the European one, we'll choose him because that's a point of pride for me because we heard about how much he used to brag about him running Sony Europe, right? That's the odd thing to me, especially with him mentioning like, he's European. That should be a point of pride for everybody. Um, that rubbed me the wrong way. It was just like, so maybe those things are true. Uh, one, one thing I didn't mention here is Gio Corsi left. Uh, Gio Corsi obviously oh, worked yeah. at Sony. He was a huge proponent of the Vita, long live the Vita. He worked with a lot of third-party uh, publishers to get games onto the Vita and onto platforms that's a big loss for them. It's interesting there. Once again, it's speculation. I don't think he was necessarily up for like head of PlayStation, but we were seeing where there's smoke, there's fire. Not necessarily. I hate that too because it's like, oh no, the sky is falling for Sony. What I mean by that is all of these people that have left Sony, John Drake and Gio Corsi and Sean Layden, like there's a number of people that have left Sony. It's intriguing to me as to why that's the case, and obviously each of them have their own individual reasons, but I do think timing plays a part in that, and I wonder because Jim Ryan recently took over as CEO and they laid down the business structure and their plan moving forward, I wonder if those guys, not that they disagreed, but maybe it wasn't something that challenged them professionally and they felt this was the best opportunity to chase new challenges, right? Or it's just curious to me. Um, it's not necessarily negative, but I do feel that there's there's a connection there to some point of like maybe they all felt that they wanted to move on elsewhere. I don't know. It just not necessarily negative, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's like no, it's, I mean, sorry, go ahead. You're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Uh, obviously, yeah, you can't account for the odd and here or there where like 
yeah, maybe Geo Corsi just had a thousand other things he wanted to do. Maybe he's going to freaking, you know, Google Stadia. Who knows? There, there's different things that could be int- mostly unrelated to, like, what's going on at Sony, too, like, in all these cases, right? But, yeah, as they start to build up, you're, I mean, th- this is really typical. Whenever there's, a, like, a change at the highest level, like, things happen. Like, the new leader is going to change things and reorganize things and do things a different way. You, It's, like, how often do you get a new, like, general manager of a of an nfl team come in like he's gonna make changes across the board right like all the old coaches are probably gonna go or get shifted or this and that and like same thing with because they want to build companies like they want to build the team that fits their vision right they have their own thing right they yeah they they the change for them happened like they became the new leader because you know something probably wasn't quite right and so like they're not going to do exactly the same as what was going on before because then otherwise what was the point of a new leader right they're gonna try to you know take what was working before but they're also going to add in like their own thing um so that's a very common thing like the company i work for super super big and we got a new ceo like a year two years ago and you know with that comes large organizational changes it's not necessarily indicative of problems before or after it's a lot of times it's just it's also not indicative that there aren't problems obviously but it's just a typical thing like there's often big changes um especially when these you know director level executive level folks they like to move things around and everyone has to have their own stamp and have done their own things to leave their legacy and like oh i came in and i did all this and i reorganized stuff so that we could do this better and you know and at here's the end of the, the day it's, with, it's all cyclical so yeah with sony and this is completely all my own opinion uh this is this is based somewhat in things we've heard but it obviously isn't like an actual like based on evidence but to me i feel what happened between sean Layden and jim ryan is from what we've read about Jim Ryan, he seems like the type of businessman that'll try to sell you the pen out of his pocket, right? When you're already holding your own pen. Just seems like that type of guy that's like, and it showed he had success in Europe. He's just trying to do as much as he can for profit's sake, which is smart in terms of business. Sean Layden to me always struck me as he always, he's like the prestige kind of businessman where he wants to sell $200 products to people who can afford $200 products. Like, the first-party studios to him are prestige. They are the the highly reviewed games that he wants to take his time on and release fewer of them, and maybe skip E3 and do their own thing and not play by nobody's rules because they have this this prestige product. And Jim Ryan, on the other hand, is like, "Yo, we need to market the shadow of anything and everything we can. We need to be at E3. We need to be doing all this stuff. We're not putting out games at a fast enough rate. A lot of this stuff, right? I think it's just a, a difference in vision." And I think maybe that's where they clash the most. Because I do see Jim Ryan as the guy that's like not going to skip on any opportunity he can to make the brand money. Whereas I think Sean Layden is the type of guy who's like, we're going to take some hits for the sake of the quality of our stuff and for the prestige of our stuff. You know? I yeah. don't know. That's why, though, like it, even being the, the Jim Ryan personality in that in that scenario – you know, if what you really care about is profit, then you have to recognize that, you know, you also have to surround yourself with people with a little bit different mindset to maximize that profit. So that's why I was encouraged by the Herman Holst things. I'm hoping that <laughs> he's a little more, you know, developer, gamer minded. Um, and that that also in- indicates that Jim Ryan is, you know, acknowledging that, yeah, we need that voice here, too. That's that's my and, hope. Right. And the big hope is that he listens to because it's one thing to have somebody with exactly. It's somebody like Herman Holtz trying to do everything he can for the good of it. It doesn't mean anything if Jim Ryan doesn't take his opinion for anything. You know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. going to suck yeah, if that yeah. does happen. Um, but, yeah, congratulations to Herman Holst. Uh, I don't know if I'd say congratulations to Shuhei, but good luck on your new endeavor. I don't know if he'd see it as a congratulations like we talked I, about. It's kind of a – I still feel know. like he must – he's got to be happy. Like, I, that's, that's what I would speculate, that this was something he wanted to do and finally convinced – you know, the the uh, Jim Ryan and, and whoever else that like, no, we need to make this an official thing and make it a whole, you know, a team or whatever, and I'll take charge of it. I just that's I hope that this is what he wanted. <laughs> I hope that's the case yeah. too. Yeah, we all love yeah. Shuhei. We don't. We want the best for Shuhei. Uh, that's it for this week's show. In terms of what we're going to be playing, obviously Outer Worlds and Call of Duty campaign. I'm going to buckle down and get those done because we got Star Wars coming out next week, baby. Not only Mandalorian, but the actual game, Jedi Fallen Order, coming out on the 15th. So I want to grind away on these games and get them done. Um, that being said, Mandalorian, obviously, 
I'm very interested in the live action Lady and the Tramp. Obviously, I don't think it's going to be like movie of the year, but I like Lady and the Tramp, so I'm, I'm interested to see the live action uh, version of that. And uh, just excited for Disney Plus in general, man. Uh, going to watch Gargoyles, an animated series. Obviously, not all next week, but I'm just glad to have that catalog of all of that stuff. Like, it's going to be awesome. Disney Channel original movies, all of that stuff. I just. I, I'm I've gotten so excited for it the past like two months in in particular right. Um, gonna watch Mandalorian as that comes out and, and a lot of other Star Wars stuff because uh, they are getting like Rebels right on there. I'm yeah. pretty confident. Yeah. So I I want to watch through that. Um, but then in general, just kind of going down like a nostalgia trip for a few months of just like binging old Disney movies and like 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 the Mighty Ducks like shitty movies that. I loved it. Dude, they announced the new they announced a new Mighty Ducks series for Disney Plus, and I couldn't be less interested. And I love those original movies, but I just I don't want more. They're really bad, so I don't. Yeah, but just because they're bad doesn't mean the new one can't be good. It's like the opposite of you're having the opposite reaction of what most people have. Like, oh, that old thing I liked is good. I don't want the new one to be bad. You're like the old ones are bad. I don't want the new ones to be exactly like that, which would be a good thing. Yeah, I. I just don't want more. I, anything that they take from the original, I don't. I, it's not. I, I don't want it. You know, well, that's I'm what sure I hope. I, I hope it doesn't take a lot from the original. The, they revealed the synopsis. It's about a kid who actually gets kicked off of the Mighty Ducks, and starts his own team. That intrigues me. It's, it's so bad. I, it already sounds bad. I don't know why. That sounds I'm doing great so negative, to me. I just, no, I can already just feel the corniness and like, I love those movies so much when I was a kid, and then I watched them again in the past few years. And every part of it is so bad, but nothing is more offensive than how inaccurate of a depiction of actual hockey it is. And it, it's, yeah, it's a movie. <laughs> you, I can, oh, t- I can but... point to so many football movies where they're not actually really playing football. Right. But it's, it's, it's the greatest example of dissonance between a, a sport and, you know, uh, the, the depiction of a sport and the, re- the sport actually happening. They're just the, Biggest gap between those is the money. But don't you think and this is a whole tangent? Don't you think there's an argument to be made that that happens because hockey isn't as popular as football in the states, yeah. so therefore they don't want to try to over-explain and complicate. Because hockey's, I wouldn't say hockey's like overly complicated, but it's it's complicated, right? For for a general fan base where the sport isn't as popular as another sport, I think they're like, yeah, we're gonna get hockey inaccurate, but. We just got to for this Disney Channel movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're a thousand percent correct. Yeah, that's why. I mean, they're not going to spend. But as somebody who grew up loving hockey, it's understandable for you to be irritated by that stuff. I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. You're like, God yeah. damn it! This is one of my favorite sports. What the hell are you doing? I get it. Uh, Bash Brothers, baby. Um, in terms of what you're going to be watching or playing, Outer Worlds, obviously, Dom. Anything else? Mandalorian, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, Outer Worlds. It's just so good, dude. It's just so good. Are you day one on Jedi Fallen Order? Yeah, I pre-ordered it, I think. So shit, I guess it's going to show up, isn't it? I'm day one, 100%. I guess <laughs> the only way it wouldn't be is if it, the reviews come out and it's like, this is a six, you know? Or like it's bad, yeah. bad. Even if it's okay, I'm going to buy it just because I want to yeah. mess around with the lightsaber. But if it's like bad, I'm bad, that's the only way I wouldn't. But I don't think Man, it's gonna happen. No chance. You know what you made me think of? Uh, you mentioned when we were talking about crap. What was it? The initiatives game of like, oh, like it'd be cool again if if they also had a, a female uh, protagonist, right? And where my mind immediately jumped was, uh, oh yeah, like in Last of Us Part Two. I mean, not only do they have a female protagonist, but they have a gay female protagonist. That in the biggest trailer of the year at E3, they put kissing another girl, which is like. You know, for a lot of people, that would be, like, triggering or something, right? Like, what? No, like, damn, SJW's putting their gayness in our games. Well, it's weird. It's weird because it's, like, that we – it's a cross-section of, like, everyone who doesn't care, which is us, right? It's, like, it's just a human thing, right? It's, like, whatever. It's a kiss between two people who love each other. Then there's the people who are, like, gross, gay people, or that shouldn't be a thing in video games, in my media, yada, yada, yada. Then there's the third section of people who are like the guys who are anti-gay but also yep. like to see women kiss. So it's like, a, yeah, but no. Yep. It's what? It's so weird. It's exactly 
that's exactly where I was going with this. So <laughs> yeah. that um, that's like halfway there to like less than half, whatever, because it's just one game. But it's almost to that like full representation uh, that you hope to get more in games of, of, of gay people, frankly, right? So then thinking of Jedi Fallen Order and some of the early complaints were, wow, you could have had any weird alien race in the galaxy and you pick another white dude to be your protagonist which is uh, i'm not going to get hung up on something like that but i get the complaint um it'd be cool to see some more diversity um if it's especially when it's arbitrary um but the voice actor i'm I'm going through a loop here but i'm going to come around (laughs) so the voice actor for the protagonist i forget his name in jedi fallen order is you know a uh, real life actor in the show shameless and, and Gotham. That show. And Gotham. Yep. Um, I, I, I haven't watched through Gotham. Cameron anyway, Moynihan. His name is Cal Kestis in Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah. Good catches. Um, and in the show Shameless, which I'm going to say is like what he's mostly known for. Um, yeah. He's, you know, a goofy looking like ginger kid who's also gay. And it's like the, a depiction of a gay kid growing up that's like kind of uncomfortable and weird and awkward and you know it's super graphic and whatever so i like through all that i was like wow wouldn't it be cool if in jedi fallen order and i don't know that it makes sense in the narrative of course but like if it turned out like that character was also gay and they just like in one of the biggest franchises in star wars and one of the biggest games of the year your protagonist is just kind of like not advertised as this but then in the game it's just like a big part of the plot all of a sudden that yeah He's got like a he's got a boyfriend or however it works out. Um, in a way that still fits. Not Star that Wars, he not that, that he's gay, but it, it, it revolves around his relationship, right? Because you don't want the yeah. point to be, oh, he's gay. That's a that's a, the issue or the, the 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 crux of it. But having to deal with that, the thing that sucks too about the Last of yeah. Us Part Two is if that was two men kissing, I think you would have heard a lot more backlash. Um, right. Because we talked about right. how because it's two women kissing, there are a lot obviously still a lot of hateful people. There are like the weird dudes who are like still hateful, but they're like it's two girls, so it's okay. Um, it, which exactly, sucks. it doesn't it doesn't yeah. draw the same reaction as if it was two guys. That's why I think it would be cool, frankly. And I'm certainly not the expert on uh, how this stuff should be handled. Um, yeah, but I just in general, I'm like, let's the, do new new stuff and like just show different types of people. Um, the the, yeah. the argument about oh another white dude leading it, I agree in the sense of like it would be cool if he was like Latino or black or a woman or whatever. The alien conversation is interesting because there's actually been studies that say that video games that don't have human characters as the people you control sell less. So yeah, I can see it. Yeah, it's, it's a, like a – I don't want to play this word alien. For me, I would love an open-world RPG or just like a you know the next KOTOR if they ever go back to it where you can just create – it's a character creator, right? And you can create a human or a Twi'lek or uh, whatever else aliens. I think those are the only two aliens I can name from Star Wars. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's but been our talk about Jedi course. Fallen Order. We're gonna say, of course, of what? course, EA. Of course, it's EA, and it's the again, it's the biggest franchise that you could possibly have a license to right now, probably, except maybe uh, Marvel, Marvel. Um, so yeah, of course, EA is gonna be as safe and conservative and very, you know, as far away from any potential backlash or controversy as they can. So you know that that's not gonna happen. But I can hope. It's it'd be interesting too if maybe Respawn did have a little bit of openness, and they're like, we could we we. They could have looked at the idea of doing a, a lead female character, but maybe they didn't have the right people in place to do it right. Because it's one thing to have, like, have a female protagonist or somebody of color and also to do it right, right? Because, like, one's uh, diversity for diversity's sake and the other one is doing it because it matters. And, like, you have people to really tell that type of person's story. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, Cal's a white dude. Uh, hopefully he's gay. That'd be dope. Um which is a sentence I'm pretty sure people in the South don't want to hear. Uh, that's here or there. Anyways, uh, episode one. Six- I mean, let's not broad brush the whole South, but some people in the South probably. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously and the not, North too, for that matter. Yeah, there's there's racist and hateful people everywhere. It's just a joke because like you point at the South, but there's plenty of people in the South that aren't bigoted. 
Um, so if you're listening to us in the south, I wasn't calling you, you out. You live in well, the I south. I live in the southwest, technically. Oh, okay. When people That's refer different. to the south, they refer to, like, Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Uh, like, the cutoff is, like, uh, New Orleans, I would say. Everything east of New Orleans is the south. Because then Texas is southwest as well. Even though it's like all of the South, essentially. Anyways, that's been episode 165. Jordan should be back for episode 166 next week. We'll be talking about XO19 and possibly some other stuff. It'll be happening the same day as the show, so hopefully it happens earlier in the day. I haven't checked. It's taking place in Europe, which means they're like seven hours ahead of me. So it's going to be interesting to see when that actual time is. And if, man, if Platonic Games or somebody else gets acquired by Microsoft, that'll be a cool talking point. Uh... Anyways, that's been it for this week's show. Follow us on iTunes, leave us a review. It helps us move up in the algorithm, search controlled interests. Uh, do that on YouTube as well. We'll pop up. Hit the bell notifications and subscribe. The bell lets you know when we upload new videos because the sub boxes on YouTube are unreliable. And lastly, go on over to Twitter. Type in at CTRLINT. That's controlled interest abbreviated. We'll pop right up. You can follow me at Jared underscore. You can follow Dom at Dom's Oreos. And Jordan, who's not with us this week, you can follow him at Melamotus. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye.